This week's Cloudcast is brought to you by Momentum SI. Whether you want to migrate applications to the cloud, transform to enable DevOps, gain insight from big data, or accelerate your agile development, Momentum SI's strategy, consulting, and hands-on expertise can help you get there faster and with greater success. Check them out at MomentumSI.com. And now, on to the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Dell and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Brian is over in Barcelona tonight uh, buying more Metro clothes. Um, if you don't believe me, go check out his Twitter image. And he's also attending VMworld, excuse me, VMworld Europe this week. Um, tonight, we're going to expand a bit on many concepts we've spoken about in the past on the show. Infrastructure as code, DevOps, even a little bit about chat ops tonight. Uh, joining us this evening, we have Evan Powell, CEO and co-founder of Stackstorm. How you doing, Evan? Great. Great, Aaron. Yeah, th- thanks a lot for having us, for having me. You know, we're a couple of way, uh, weeks away from open sourcing uh, Basically a year, year and a half's uh, development, so really excited about that, and, and we, we can talk about what we're building here at Stackstorm nice. as we dive in. Great, great. Yeah, and, and it's really, this is interesting because uh, went out, and, and I'll put the, the links in the show notes, but there's a bunch of things in the blog and, and, and a bunch of pieces from previous guests and show topics that there's a lot of emerging trends, if you will, in DevOps. <laughs> But but a big problem has has been how do you put all these pieces together at times you know how, Jira Jenkins Docker OpenStack AWS a lot of moving pieces that at the end of the day somebody has to integrate together and actually operate efficiently in a workflow and so let's start at that um, th- this concept of automation as a service and and. What are the problems you've seen to date, and and what are the problems you're trying to solve in the industry? Well, you've hit it pretty well. Then I would just point out that automation as a service, amongst other things, is the most unfortunate uh, acronym in DevOps. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, But um, it it, it really is, okay, you've got this pipeline or tool chain or Lego approach, pick your metaphor, and you've got... um, point pieces of automation uh, from CI, CD through, let's say, ongoing operation, scaling, troubleshooting, maybe remediation as a service, and and so forth. Um, And what we have seen is operators wire these pieces together, um, some of the ones you've mentioned, you know, Jenkins and OpenStack, PagerDuty and Logly and others, um, with scripts or with their own code. And at some point, uh, if you're not careful, you find that you've actually introduced fragility into your system at the automation layer because while you've got best-of-breed pieces tied together, the stuff that you've written to tie them together itself becomes a bit of a management nightmare. And so uh, what happens often is you end up with a, uh, a crisis and then it becomes a big software development process and project and refactoring occurs. And what we're trying to do is come along and say, here, let us be a layer effectively on top so that hopefully you don't get into that uh, situation in the first place and so that you can maintain the flexibility that we all are all excited about with uh, DevOps or 
agile operations in the first place and, and you don't introduce the fragility in the first place. Yep, that makes perfect sense. And to take that even a step further, a, a quote from a blog post that, that you uh, wrote recently, and there's, again, a link to it in the show notes, but um, because developers are in charge that every single API, it must be a first-class citizen, they determine whether the API, API is inadequate very quickly. If you treat your APIs badly by deprecating them suddenly or without warning, you are essentially slapping developers that use your APIs in the face. And from personal experience, very, very true. Um, I've been dealing a lot with this recently of the, the concept of the API really almost being the crown jewel of the product. And how do you automate it? How do you work with the product? It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's hardware, whether it's software, at the end of the day, it's, it's how do you manipulate the bits? And, um, this has been a, a fantastic kind of uh, cornerstone that that everyone's kind of coming to right now. And there's also a presentation that that your company did. I don't think I believe it was you on OpenStack versus VMware, um, but not necessarily to com- to compare those, but the idea of closed versus open, and it's really some great analogies of of history uh, and advancements in efficiency throughout history, and. and how does this, you know, automation as a service really help developers? Is is it really about it, taking all of those APIs that are out there and abstracting them away, or and providing almost like a an abstraction layer? Or, or tell us a little bit more about how you're helping developers go faster. Well, you, you hit upon uh, a few near and dear points there. Uh, it, we we help in a couple of ways. Uh, one is as you as you stated, we are. Uh, Stackstorm is an abstraction layer on top of the underlying systems. Why is this important? Well, you know, if you have three or four, okay, five systems that you integrate together for your CI, continuous integration, let's say, that's not too bad. You know, that's nine, what, 16, 25 potential connections that you have. Then you add a few more for CD, uh, you can see where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> and then you add monitoring and troubleshooting, and pretty soon you've got 100, 140 connections just with, uh, you know, uh, 10 systems that are somehow integrated. And so giving you a transparent view into what integrations are there and having them as a shared service so that when I try to do something that calls upon to pick one, you know, Logly and PagerDuty, um, it, those APIs or those calls, the ability to control those systems and to listen to those systems is there and for free, you know, for me there uh, is helpful. I don't, I don't have to relearn that API. I don't have to uh, validate that it's working well in my environment. Um, Stackstorm also does add a, um, a rules engine. And again, this will be open sourced in a few weeks. Um, that rules engine allows you to say, oh, when I see, um, I don't know, you know, when, when PagerDuty or, and New Relic both tell me X, then I go look at Y and then I take action, uh, Z, right? You know, then I wake up the humans. Uh, so those sorts of if then statements, um, and again, we see those a lot in automation today. They tend to be bespoke script, uh, based if then rules engines and we're saying that's a little bit silly wouldn't developers rather be doing something more exciting maybe than doing the wiring 
maybe they have a new way, a, a new application that they want to present to end users, as opposed to reinventing the wheel, whether those are integrations or rules engines. Uh, and then there's also a workflow component, which basically takes, you know, action A, passes the results of action A to action B to action C. You can do this if you're a good developer, but why reinvent the wheel? Why not use open source software so that we can start uh, from kind of a, a good starting spot and then try to add value um, some other way? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really about how are you going to automate your environment and uh, speeding the time to actually get to good automation and then, again, reducing the risk that you're introducing fragility because the thing becomes hard you know, to manage over time. Sure. And, and this conversation kind of reminds me, of course, because it's, it's – I mean it's used as an analogy a lot of times and there's been many books been written about it. But, yeah, you take it like manufacturing lines, right? And if, if you want to say the end result is digital bits – in this instance, mm. this is a manufacturing line and you're, pro- you're processing from one station to the next station, moving down a workflow, moving down a line. And in your experience and, and your customers, what is kind of the, the low hanging fruit here of like, where does the, the, this digital manufacturing line tend to break down or, or what is the pain that, that seems to be like, Oh, that's the problem we tend to solve very easily. Ah, uh. Um, it tends to be around the time that you're going from, um, you, you've got a agile environment going, you've got continuous integration going, you're moving into CD. Now you're getting to the point that you're starting to have enough of these connections and enough of these automations and enough logic embedded in those automations that it starts to be a bit of a headache. You then get into how am I really going to wrestle with um, pager fatigue and ongoing operations and doing that in an automated way? Usually right in that piece, you're, um, you, you know, you're screaming. Uh, right, one, way, right, right. one way or the other, you're screaming. And, and that's, uh, you know, we're trying to talk about, hey, we work with Jenkins. You might want to um, sort of take your vitamins up front as, as opposed to getting into uh, dire straits, if you will. Uh, but it usually is a little bit farther down the life cycle uh, where they realize that geez uh, you know this automation is becoming a bit of a a bit of a bear to handle right and so it really almost seems like it, it isn't necessarily the process that breaks down it's that a lot of times there's issues scaling the process and I, th- yes. that actually brings up another topic that that um, that I saw that you had mentioned uh, like a, this, almost like a third wave in IT, and you and you actually present a potential framework around this of, um, you know, Docker uh, at the at kind of a bottom layer uh, for automation tracking dependencies in an environment, and really providing all the efficiencies Docker typically does. Uh, Jenkins for automated and and QA testing, um, and then OpenStack and or Docker for orchestration and then of course a monitoring layer on top of that and then stackstorm on on top of that is so almost like a fifth layer right of um to focus on this idea of automation as a service remediation through automation um is that a correct assessment of of the framework i think so i i, I think so and, and what we find fascinating is um is that how Organizations tie these 
okay, Lego blocks, again, whatever the metaphor is, together differs a little bit. Um, and again, what we're hoping and what we're seeing and some of the more uh, progressive operators or at least StackStorm users, <laughs> who I call progressive, but anyway, is that they're trying to retain the flexibility. So imagine if you have hardwired um, OpenStack as your only orchestration layer, and now a Docker-related orchestration solution comes in, and um, wh- wh- what are you going to do? I mean, or do you need to fully rewire everything? Um, it, it, you may have to, but if you have automation as a service kind of giving you that wiring um, the, you know, transparently, uh, adding things like access controls to it and so forth so it, it fits in nicely, and treating it all just as code, um, then hopefully, again, you have a more agile uh, automation environment as well. That, that's, that's the hope. Yep. But yeah, that, that kind of pattern is starting to look common. I mean, monitoring itself, uh, I'm not really a monitoring expert per se, but there's some fascinating patterns out there. I mean, there's the Elk you know, stack that we're seeing. Um, there's the use of real event pipelines but our argument is that one of the beautiful things in DevOps is you have best-of-breed projects or tools emerging, uh, and you want to be able to recombine them without being locked in, not because of the tool, but because you've hardwired it in somehow through these APIs. Yep. And, and, and so if we kind of look at automation as a service as kind of glue – between a bunch of existing projects and frameworks and, and we're creating workflows that really flow through this change management, remote execution kind of process. Um, if I understand this correctly, you're, you're not like, you're not trying to replace Docker, Salt, Ansible, Chef, all these other guys. You're trying to provide integration points into them. But I guess my initial question to you is that just sounds like a nightmare. Um, <laughs> because, yes. because there's all these possible integration points and all these other possible products in the market and, you know, having a kind of vendor background of you're at the mercy of all these other vendors to kind of do inputs, outputs kind of things. Right. And, and so how does that work and, and how does that potentially affect uh, what you're trying to accomplish? It, it is potentially a nightmare. We have a little <laughs> bit of a, it's true, and, but we have a little bit of a leg up in that our real founder, I'm a co-founder, but uh, Dimitri Zamin uh, really got the project going um, well before I got involved. He previously, some years back, helped uh, build a company called Opalis, which is now owned by Microsoft. It's called System Center Orchestrator. So we would say it's one of the leaders of kind of the first wave of operations automation. This is even pre-VMware. Um, but, um, and so there's some best practices uh, that you can pick up and some cul-de-sacs that you can avoid if you've actually tried to do it in a different world, but um, with similar use cases in the past. So we do have experience on our side. Um, and then the one big change, one big advantage, we think, uh, now versus, again, 10 years ago or so, is community. Um, and so we think that these integrations, whether they're sort of northbound or southbound, uh, should be and are, uh, of course, going to be open and shareable. Um, another big advantage is APIs, you know, that the point that you raised, uh, being OpenStack and other uh, solutions out there, make the infrastructure really addressable and easier to address 
than it was back in the time of Apollos or Opsware or Real Ops or you know some of these other solutions which we now refer to as sort of legacy automation solutions. So it's an easier problem together with the communities around DevOps. We think we can solve it. We think we have the right architecture, which is critical uh, to be able to solve it. Um, and of course, uh, it also speaks to the pain. I mean, if you're doing this yourself, over time, it will be really painful. You know, let's pitch in together and do it as a community. Yeah, and that's that's a fantastic point because the, what we're really seeing from the DevOps community in general is no matter who the company is, you know, you take Docker with Docker Hub, you take Ansible with their libraries and, you know, Puppet and Chef. There's a lot of folks out in the communities that are, at the end of the day, they're operators solving problems. And mm. they you know, made this bit of magic work and then they they actually have, you know, through that product a community and a way to share that and scale that. Um that I it just keeps working over and over and over and, and we actually mentioned um on the show recently of, you know, is it even possible to be a big vendor in kind of a closed economy anymore? Is this idea of of an open source and open community, is it the only way to really jumpstart and move forward and scale quickly um, in today's startup environment? Um, and, and so would, it, would you agree with that assessment? I would. We also believe that control, um, the sorts of things that we're doing in terms of uh, automations and, and, and making changes, tends to need to be on-premise. And there's a bit of a schism between on-premise. On-premise, I think it's the playbook that you just referred to, 100%. Uh, um, I think if you're a SaaS provider, uh, maybe there's some use cases there. New Relic comes to mind. They've done pretty well um, with a, you know, uh, obviously a closed, relatively closed service. I mean, API friendly and all that, but um, but that's that's a different use case. Um, we think control. Um, today, so far, it doesn't quite fit in the cloud, uh, and so for on-prem, I think it's got to be, and it's got to be open source, um, and it's got to be community-oriented, not all the things that you uh, that you stated. Sure, sure. And now let's talk about remediation for a second, and and what I mean by that is, okay, if we're going through a, a workflow and monitoring kicks in something is out of thresholds right doesn't matter what it is but you know there's some kind of alarm going off in some way there's there's always been kind of two thoughts to this of hey wake up a person have a person go do root cause analysis fix it set everything back you know it's automation of generating that flag but manual fixing of the flag right but then there is this concept of of really machine learning artificial intelligence and and automatic remediation that I believe is part of the product. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And it sounds a bit like, um, you know, I come from a hypervisor background, what VM Turbo has been trying to do for Mm. years. And VM Turbo very much has a monitoring feature, but then a auto remediation feature at the hypervisor level of let's move these VMs around. Let's do this. Let's do that. It's kind of like new relic uh, in many respects, but at a, you know, at a lower level. Well, 
what I found is when I started to talk to um, to them and conversations with them and some of their customers is sometimes flipping that bit to enable you know enable uh, automation and remediation versus just f- monitoring tends to make people uncomfortable. They start they start to think of like Skynet and Terminator and and machines taking over the world and and unpredictable unpredictable things can happen and make things worse and and so. Yeah. So first of all, are, you know, is that possible uh, with with Stackstorm, and what are your thoughts on it? No, I, I, again, um, we've seen it. Um, Dimitri, in, in particular, uh, has 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 seen it. Uh, we've done maybe 150 or more discussions with operators, and there are some real horror stories out there. Um, about automations, you know, going awry. Uh, you know, the classic is uh, a host is starting to perform badly. Well, the naive thing to do is, well, that's easy. You know, pull that one out of the queue. You know, reprovision it, get it going. Well, maybe it's performing badly because it's the day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> and <laughs> sure. uh, they're all going to be performing badly. And if you take one out of the queue, they're all going to perform badly. Uh, even quicker, and, and so you can brown out your whole site uh, through the magic of automation if you're not not careful. So, what do you do about that? Uh, I think you can't leave the humans behind, and this is where some of the uh, Uber geeks that we have working with us uh, from Berkeley and elsewhere, who are real um, experts in control theory, have turned us on to uh, thinking about control theory. Some of which. Uh, you know, I read some some papers that were published after Three Mile Island, right? Uh, so in the U.S., obviously, that was sort of a seminal moment when uh, we realized, oh, shit, you know, we almost uh, uh, had a meltdown or the beginnings of a meltdown uh, in Pennsylvania. And part of the analysis was that the automation was very powerful um, up to a point, and then when it uh, sort of lost the ability to make good decisions, it threw it over to the humans. But at which point the humans had no freaking clue, right? Because it had been a non-transparent process up to that point, um, at least according to one or two of these papers. And so how do you keep the humans able to take over if you get into a situation that is not um, anticipated in the first place by the humans who programmed the automation? And so there's a lot of best practices and a lot of cautionary tales out there uh, and we embrace all of that. Again, I think open source helps. Uh, transparency helps. You can't be a black box. I mean, black box automation tends not to be trusted, and it shouldn't be. We think you got to be super transparent. You know, the, the automation itself has got to be shareable. And we can even start with, uh, and we're not the only ones like this, but to give you an example, if you have a bunch of Python code, uh, as your automator, uh, you know, tying together these pieces of Legos, we can start with that. We can ingest that your existing code, your scripts, and and then uh, use that. So, yeah, it's a great point. Um, the proof will be in the pudding. How many folks that use Stackstorm or other solutions for this kind of automation begin to trust it to not just alert them of issues, but to do true closed loop lights out automation. Uh, we've given it a lot of thought and, uh, yeah, again, the proof will be in, in the usage. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, 
it, it's actually funny you mentioned Three Mile Island because I actually grew up like 45 minutes from there. Um, <laughs> when I go home to visit family in Pennsylvania, I actually fly into Harrisburg Airport, which you yep. you can see the cooling towers in the distance. So I'm very familiar with it. But, well, but I'm, I'm glad it didn't go. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but kind of, yeah, kind of a closing thought here is what's really kind of happening in the industry is this is simply the the next step in okay what was this the, this trend that kind of kicked off this devops movement was was this ability i want to go faster and i don't want to do the crap work mm-hmm. um and but now we're starting to go okay now we're we're kind of going faster but we're going faster with all these different pieces that we have to put together with it's creating a different kind of crap work we're still going faster but there's still crap work mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what we're looking to do is is how do you at the end of the day maybe throw in some automation throw in some remediation that that will help help that signal to noise ratio if you will of of how do we kick off alerts how do we certain do a certain level of remediation but not too much remediation so it that's probably the next trend in the industry right of, of how are we going to find this fine balance and so that's really interesting stuff it, it is the, the whole human factor stuff and you know we we um we could probably have a whole uh chat about uh chat ops and we we do support chat ops and, and the uh, as an example not 100 percent wedded to it if you're uh you know using tickets and jira exclusively and not using chat but but we've seen some amazing uh outcomes uh where where the automation is basically acting as a peer to the humans through chat and that can be a good way to keep that relationship going um sort of a good operational pattern but uh it's going to be a fun five years. I think you know you touched upon something earlier that kind of the only path forward uh, probably is open source, is these community models. That's incredibly disruptive, as you know, to a lot of the existing vendors out there. Um, and it's also incredibly powerful to the end users. I, I think they're going to get big boosts in productivity. They already are from DevOps. Um, but who's going to emerge as really their trusted vendors or partners or communities i don't think it's really determined yet so it's going to be a fun uh, five six you know ten years here yeah absolutely and and chat ops is is super interesting uh the first time we actually ever had it was uh on this show uh mark embriago um from github well he was at github at the time um and he was telling us all about their model it's the first time i ever heard of it it's just the the whole idea is just so fascinating to me. I went out and did a bunch of research on, on it afterwards, and and it's again a really cool way to take some existing technology and use them in new and different ways to improve efficiency. So I just I love that concept. Absolutely, no, I I agree. All right, so we are out of time for this week. Um, Evan, where can everyone follow you, follow the company, and and find out more about what is going on at Stackstorm? So I'm epowell101 uh, on Twitter. Uh, Stackstorm is just stackstorm.com. Uh, take a look. Uh, there's going to be, as I said, open sourcing happening at uh, uh, November 3rd, actually, at the OpenStack Summit uh, in Paris in a few weeks. And, uh, yeah, please please reach out. You know, Give us feedback of any type, and, and I think together – we can kind of put a layer on on top of these Lego pieces that help us all manage them better without uh, introducing the fragility that uh, really can 
can uh, ruin our day. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you very much. If you like the show, please tell a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Right about now, you're asking yourself, why isn't the rest of the show done with a female English accent? You love it, don't you? You want to hear more, don't you? Hit subscribe.